You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Well, good morning, Creekside. Thank you for the past, uh, well, going on 14 years now, you have been uh, supporting uh, my family and my ministry as we work with uh, Bible translators around the world. My name is Milt Jones, and if you can see on my little tiny name tag here, right, um, we have been working with uh, Wycliffe now for, I guess, I don't know, 15 or more years. Creekside has been a part of most of that. And what I do is I'm part of the Quality Assurance Group. We help local people translate scripture into their own language, and then we do quality assurance with them. We go back, ask them questions, make sure they understand it, that they've handled it well. And a little bit later, at lunchtime, you're all invited to meet. I don't, which room are we meeting in? The middle school room. We're going to talk some more about that, and I'll show you some translation problems that are kind of fun. And, uh, yeah, you can, you can try your hand at quality assurance and Bible translation. So join us. Uh, I think the food is free. But uh, if not, I guess you could go hungry. Um, we're going to um, pick up in our series on the school of faith. I have been uh, participating with you at a distance. I live in Charlotte, and I fly out to different locations to work with translation teams. But that doesn't mean I haven't been coming to the school of faith with you, okay? So... Uh, just so you know, my family was out here for a wedding this past week, and uh, since I knew I was coming out, I called John and said, hey, I'd love to get together with you guys, and he said, come on, uh, show us what you got. Um, it shows that he's a man of faith, um, but... Uh, my family and I got to go up in the Redwoods. We used to live here in the Bay Area for 10 or 12 years. And as we were out walking in the Redwoods, we got away from everybody. You know, up where it's really quiet. You know how the, the uh, bark of the Redwood absorbs all that sound. And we we're probably a mile away from the nearest group of people. <clears throat> and I'm walking along and I realize my wife has stopped somewhere. So I look over my shoulder and there she is. And she's really intent on something. And I'm like, what, what, do you, what do you see? She says, oh, it's not the seeing. She says, I'm hearing the trees creaking up at the top. The wind's blowing. You know how that is? That sound, it's kind of a wooden, creaky sound up in the top of the redwoods. And she was just enjoying the moment. And I thought, that's interesting. I don't hear anything. And it is true, about a year ago, I got hearing aids because I have certain gaps in my frequencies, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And those of you who don't, you'll get there. <laughs> um, and I can remember that sound, and I do like that sound, but without the hearing aids, I can't hear it. And I just happened to not have remembered, another senior problem, to put my hearing aids in. And so Becky was telling me that it's this awesome sound, and guess what? I believed her. Now, she's the kind of person who always tells the truth, sometimes even if it hurts, but 
I could believe her because my experience and the fact that she's a truth teller, I could trust what she was saying. Now, if I were to say that, I might be pulling your leg. I'm a little bit of a prankster. But because it was Becky, I knew that the Crees were treaking and I, treaking, creaking, and I was uh, pulling up the memories of that. And in Hebrews uh, 11, 1 through 3, let's go ahead and put that up on the screen there. The writer talks about what faith is. Now, you remember back to the beginning of this series. If not, you can still get it online, I think, and refresh your memory. The writer talks about what faith is and how it goes beyond what we see. And it's something that produces assurance and understanding. So there it is. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. We've been talking a lot about the ancients. By faith, we understand that the universe is formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what was visible. Great sermon uh, on that one as well. Go back and listen to it. Like seeing and hearing, faith is another way to evaluate what's going on around us. It's not another sense. It's not like a mystical third eye that looks into the great beyond. It's not like some spiritual hearing where you hear voices, okay? It's something more real, it's deeper, it's richer, and it's way more reliable. Faith is trusting in the person who was there before the beginning and at the beginning and it's listening to that one who cannot make a mistake cannot err cannot misunderstand faith is believing in the one who made it all and if we get our information from that one we can actually act confidently. This series about what does faith do? If we know the one who made it all, we can act confidently because he sees our current situation. He knows exactly what's going on. He cares deeply. He has a plan for you. And guess what? His plan always happens. He makes sure that it happens. He guarantees it. And since this is the God who really exists, why wouldn't we act in faith? Why not? Go ahead and go to the next slide. In our current series, the School of Faith here, is that large enough to read? Oh, yes, yeah, not too bad, is it? Here are some of the things that faith does. In case you missed it, again, a lot of these are still online. By faith, we understand. By faith, offering. By faith, walking, building, obeying, receiving ability. Faith does all these things because it trusts the one. Next slide, please. Romans 15 says that active faith is not just for the old guys of the past 
or old guys like me or John. Okay. Everything that was written in the past was to teach us so that through endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. God has given us all these examples for us to learn. That's why it's a school of faith. It's to learn. And that we might have hope. Could you use a little good news this morning? <laughs> Could you use a little hope? Just think about what's going on in the world around you. It's easy to get caught up in what's going on around and not tap into the hope that God provides. So let's turn to our text for today and the next slide. And we're going to look at three teachers today. This might be a little scatterbrained for you, okay? Part of that is because we're going to talk about this verse and then we'll hop back into other passages that explain the verse a little bit more. But part of it might be my mental state. Sometimes I'm a little scattered. So if you get confused, just wave at me and I'll say, oh, I missed something. These verses include promises, uh, problems, and blessings. And let's just read this out. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. Now, all three of these men, all related, right? Here we got grandfather, father, son. They're doing something very similar. And we're going to take each one in step. So hold on and wave your hand if you feel scattered. Let's jump in. Next slide. There's a very first verse here. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Isaac, of course, was Abraham and Sarah's son. We just spent the last month talking about them, right? What did faith cause Isaac to do? Well, it's very simple. He blessed. And everybody likes blessings, right? Woohoo! <laughs> Give me the good stuff. All right. Feeling good. Bless, bless, bless. Too blessed to be stressed. All right. But do you remember the story behind this verse? Let's go to the next slide. Here it is in tiny print. That's great. All right. If, if you're my age and older, you can go ahead and just take your glasses and pull them out like this. I'll read it to you. So Jacob went to Isaac and kissed him. Great. All right. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that's blessed by the Lord. Now, I don't know if you know what a fertile field smells like. <laughs> that's not my kind of smell. But apparently Isaac was into that kind of stuff. Verse 28, may God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grace and new wine. May the nations serve you and the peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. 
And may those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. That's a pretty good blessing. Yeah, richer than that field. Go ahead and go to the next slide. The last section there, I hope it sounded familiar to you. The, the part where it talks about may those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. Because that goes back to Abraham part one that John taught four weeks ago. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, if I'm looking up here, it's tiny, but you can see up in the upper left-hand corner, there's a blue word. This is Abraham's part. You go. Okay? Sounds like a command to your dog. Go. All right? All the stuff in red is what God will do. I will bless. I will make. I will make. I will bless. I will curse. That's all God's part. And then there's a few green pieces there that are the result. You will be blessed and you will be a blessing. Okay? Abram's got this tiny part. Go. God's got all the hard stuff I will make, I will do, and the result is all this blessing. And when Isaac blesses Jacob, he's drawing on this promise from Abram. Right? He's saying, okay, God has promised this. Now I'm passing it on to you. All right? This is part of what God is doing. So this is kind of a cool thing. And here is the first point. Let's flip to the next slide. Hopefully this is nice and big. God's promises always result in blessing. If God said it, it's good. Okay? We should just grind this into our kids' heads. If God said it, it's good. And then we need to grind it into our own hearts. God has built the universe in this way. When he built it, he made each and everything good. And the whole total of it, he said, was very good. You remember that? That's back in Genesis chapter 1. And it's when we as people like Adam say, not your will, but mine, that things get screwed up and broken. Right? We look around us, there's a lot of stuff that's screwed up and broken. But when we say like Jesus, the second Adam, not my will, but thine, all right, then God's promises flourish and produce fruit. Now, we live in California. Well, you do. I live in North Carolina. But you live in California, and you know what a tree looks like if it hasn't had water for a month or two months. It gets all crinkly and the leaves brown and they start to fall off and there's no flowers and there's no fruit. But when you start putting water on it, you start to see the leaves come back and turn green. And then there's some budding. And if you keep watering it, then it produces fruit. And that fruit is tasty and sweet. 
if you got the right kind of tree. If you don't have the right kind of tree, why did you plant it in the first place? God's promises are like that. When we obey, it's like watering that plant. The tree is good and sound. We need to obey so that it will produce the fruit, the promises, the blessing that God intended. Psalm 34, 8 is really simple. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Why don't we believe that? Why are we kind of slow to do what God asks us to do? The promise is there. The character of God is there. He is by nature good. And certainly our neighbors tend not to believe that. There's another passage there. It says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Psalm 145.9 And of course, from the passage on Enoch, Without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews eleven six. It's a few weeks ago. John did an excellent sermon on that. Go back and listen to that part about the reward. He has a story from his own life about the reward. We are slow. We are slow. We are slow to really believe that God is good. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you without money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Hmm. It's like a Groupon. Why spend your money on that which is not bread, i.e. junk food, and your labor on that which does not satisfy, like celery? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of foods. Do we believe that? Back in my day, it was Postrio in San Fran, right? That's where all the people went to eat. And I just saw that it's closed now. But for 200 bucks, the foodies can go and drop, at least I'm told, I haven't experienced this myself, for 200 bucks, you can drop into Yuji or Spruce or Atelier Crin and get a good meal. A great meal. But what God is talking about is this, that stuff's junk food compared to what I give. And you know what? At my place, it's free. Do we believe that? This reminds us that the best blessings are based on God's promises. The best blessings are based on God's promises. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. In fact, the best blessing is passing on God's promises to someone else. Think about your neighbor. I'm guilty. I'm thinking about my neighbors. They don't know the Lord very well. Some not at all. 
the best, the best blessing is passing on what you know to be true about God to your neighbor. They need to hear that God is good. They need to figure out how they can tap into God's promises. And what about you? Do you believe it enough that when you need cash, the first thing you look at is your bank account? Or do you look at God? Or when you need a job, do you go to your buddies and network? Or do you pray? What about when you need to get into that good school? Or when you've got a tough discussion you need to have with a family member or a friend? Or when you need a really good grade in this class or on the next test. Are you more likely to go to God first or something else first? Let's not be the kind of people that view God as a last resort. But if that's the way you're treating him right now, let me say, just go ahead and go to him as a last resort. <laughs> I'd rather you go now without shame to God and ask for whatever you need rather than not go to him at all. On the flip side, let's become the kind of people that go to God as our first resort. He's our rewarder. And maybe we should just consider God's promises as our first and best and highest priority. rather than just what our heart wants or what people around us say. Well, let's go back to our story. Isaac blesses Jacob based on God's great blessing to Abraham, and it shows that Isaac had a blessed, easy, perfect champion life. He had it so easy he didn't have any problems because he was blessed by God's blessing, right? Well, maybe not. There were a few problems. Like, you remember when Isaac was growing up, he had an older brother who as a teenager was making fun of him and started bullying him bad enough that mom kicked Ishmael out of the house, or should I say out of the tent, right? And so Ishmael leaves the house, and he goes out in the desert and almost dies. Okay, this is kind of a happy family situation, right? Um, so it's only good stuff and blessing for this family, right? It's all easy. And now that Ishmael was out of the house, Isaac could sit back and say, I got the inheritance. Nee, 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 nee. Got you back. That is, until the day God tells Abram, hey, go sacrifice your son Isaac. Take him to Mount Moriah. Can you imagine what's going on in Isaac's mind? We talked about what's going on in Abram's mind. Now think about you're Isaac and you're going off for a sacrifice and you look around and say, hey, Dad, where's the lamb? Don't worry, God will provide it. Then a little bit later, dad's tying you up and he's laying you down on a stack of wood and he's got a knife and he's going to slit your throat. 
You ever think about that? Now, I don't know, maybe Abram told him, hey, I think God's going to raise you from the dead. Uh, Dad, you having a few delusions here? So if you're Isaac, you're wondering, where is God's great promises to dad about the blessing, about becoming a great nation? Where's all that stuff? I mean, it was supposed to be in me, right? Dad told me the story that I'm the, the, the special son, but here I am on top of the wood. Go ahead and turn to the next slide. So Isaac was ridiculed by his brother. He had a messy family background with, you know, mom and concubine mom, however that worked. He's almost killed by his father, and then God supplies the lamb. Now think about this. If you've been thinking about God's promises to your dad and you're almost dead and you've gone through all this trauma and then God supplies the lamb at the last moment, what does that do for a boy? What does that do for an old man decades later thinking back about God doing that? You see, God's promises always require me to face problems. God's promises always require me to face problems. Why is that? Why can't I just have the blessed life? Why can't I just live the blessed life, the championship life every day, day in, day out? Well, remember, this is the school of faith. How many of you went to school? Okay, three of us. <laughs> when I went to school, they would hand you a sheet of paper, right? Just like this, except it wasn't blank. And on there, there were math problems. What did I just call them? Problems, math problems. And on there, I'd actually have to add two numbers. And at first, it's kind of hard. And then once you figure out how to add, they change it to subtracting. And you run out of fingers. <laughs> and then it's multiplication. Why do, do they do that to you? Why do they torture you with math? And why does it go up to differential equations and sending people off to UC Berkeley to get their doctorates in numbers? Well, the first part is because your parents loved you enough to know that one day you would need a job. And you gotta know how to do some simple numbers to figure out your paycheck, and your food bill, and your rent, and your taxes, and inflation, and your retirement. It goes on and on. But it's not because they wanna say, oh, let's make things tough. Yeah, let's make things hard. 
It's like, no, no, this is, this is helpful. When you're a kid, you say, this is not helpful. But as an adult, you say, whew, I'm glad I learned how to add because things are adding up pretty fast in the grocery store right now. It pushes us to trust God in the school of faith. Problems are there to train us to live the best possible life that God has in store for you, which he promised. He promised eternal life. He promised abundant life. He promised, sometimes I just say lifey life, because we're so used to living life kind of here. Go to work, go to work, go to work, fill up the gas tank. Whew. Go to work some more. Now I'm in debt from the gas tank. Go to work. Go to work. But there's a different kind of life that God is trying to get us to live. So we look at our picture here. Let's go back to the Isaac story. Isaac had a favorite son. This is always great in family dynamics, right? And guess what? Mrs. Isaac had a favorite son. And guess what? They weren't the same favorite son. You got daddy's boy and mama's boy. Okay? Now, none of us men will admit that we are ever mama's boy. But let me just tell you what went down here. Isaac loved Esau. That's Esau on your left. Okay? Esau liked to go hunting. He's all hairy and manly. And he probably has to use axe or whatever the latest product is. He's a real manly man who isn't afraid to get sweaty and dirty, right? This is the guy that you send in to the Navy SEALs. This guy is rugged. Rebecca likes Jacob over there at the desk, all right? Jacob likes to stay in the office and keep the books. He's pretty smart, but he still is testosterone challenged, all right? He's got not so much hair. He's smooth-skinned. He's got no access to today's prescriptions for male pattern baldness. And Rebecca knows that Esau is the one who's going to get the family blessing because he's the oldest by about 30 seconds, if you know the story. Okay? Rebecca's not happy about this. Hmm. What am I going to do? I'm going to cook up a plan. So, to trick Isaac whom she knows is getting old and blind, okay? And the prescription glasses and contacts haven't come in vogue yet. She devises a plan where she's going to take some animal skins. They'll be kind of like hairy like Esau, put them on the neck and on the arms. And you know what? Something's not right here. Uh, Jacob, now go around, roll around in the dirt and stuff out there. Get something musky on you so you smell like your brother. Yeah, get that good sweaty smell going here. So, after Jacob does all that, Rebecca sends him in to Isaac and says, Dad, this is Esau. Bless me. I'm ready for my blessing. You're getting old. Give me the blessing. So, Isaac says, man, the voice sounds like Jacob. But, you know, uh, you, you feel and you smell like a wild ox. You must be Esau. 
So, there goes the blessing. Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. He's been tricked. Esau finds out about it and he's mad. He wants to kill Isaac. And after some finagling, he gets a minor blessing out of, out of dad. So, this blessing thing just seriously got messed up. The younger son got the blessing the older son was supposed to. Does that ruin God's plan? Well, apparently not. It's almost like God knows what he's talking about. It's almost like God is powerful and thoughtful and still loving. Go to the next slide there. So here we have... Let's go ahead and skip to the next one. <laughs> um, skip to the next one. Here's one where we didn't get our slides right. That's my fault. Skip to the next one. Here we have uh, this situation. Go one more. Thank you. We have this situation here where we've got a messy family. Check. We've got an older brother getting left out of an inheritance. Check. And we've got an older brother that wants to kill the younger brother. Check. This is a great family. This is a life of blessing. What is God doing? He's taking them to the school of faith. Even when there are Problem, promises and blessing, God always requires me to face problems. He puts me in the school of faith. And over time, I begin to know that God is who he says he is. And I get to know God personally as he really is. He knows my situation. He cares about me. He has a plan for me. His plan always succeeds. And that's even if I've got a rotten boss who maybe doesn't give me the promotion I deserve, a rotten family that's always stabbing me in the back, a rotten schoolmate who cheats, takes my paper, turns it in as his own, and then I get the blame for copying the paper. None of that confuses God. None of that ruins his plan. Let me just say that in each of these three lives, in Isaac, in Jacob, and in Joseph, the same things happen over and over and over again. Whether that's a family, like a family trait that gets passed down, there's always somebody who's about to get killed by another family member. There's always an older brother who gets ripped off from his inheritance and his birthright. And there's always some sort of messy childhood. You know, it's very, very interesting that God put these three people with these three problems in front of us today because... Somebody always is getting threatened to get killed. And in the New Testament, 
we have somebody who is killed for us in our place. In these stories, there's always a messy family. In the New Testament, Christ gives us a new family. In these stories, there's always somebody getting ripped off out of an inheritance. In the New Testament, there is an inheritance stored up for, for us in heaven, Peter says, that cannot spoil, fade, waste away, or in modern language, cannot be ruined by conflicts in Europe or inflation or bad financial planning. There's an inheritance, a new family, and someone who has died in our place. We're not going to have time to go into the mess of Joseph's life, but you'll remember some of those things that happened to him. Um, he was sold by his brothers as a slave, right? And then they told their dad, oh, he's killed by a wild animal. He goes down to Egypt. He's falsely imprisoned and accused of adultery, which he didn't do. Um, the list goes on and on. When God has promises, he leaves us with problems so that we will go back to him and learn to trust him, the school of faith. When I was in my younger years, God moved us here to Oakland. We worked in the Campbell Village projects. And we had a very um, discouraging and painful exit from that ministry. Painful exit. Later, our youngest daughter was born with a lifelong disability. And there were surgeries and long nights and frustrations in many tiring, tiring days. But God didn't change with our circumstances. And he gave us a good life. Now, I don't know what kind of life God will give you or has given you. That's not the point. The point is that God has a plan for you that will not fail. God sees you where you are. And he wants to give you a rich, full, eternal life. Can you flip all the way down to the end? <clears throat> There's a timeline here, which maybe you can't quite see on the left side, is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then, sort of in this purple area over here, God secures all the promises in Christ. Christ pays for everything that needs to be paid so that God's promises can come true. You are here. The promises were made way back. Christ has secured those promises, and now we're waiting until God keeps all of his promises. This is from Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40. All these people were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that together with us, that's the old guys and us, we would be made perfect. 
And in Hebrews 12:1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, these witnesses are not people who are watching us. They are people who are encouraging us. The life of Abraham tells us it's worth it to trust God. The life of Isaac tells us it's worth it to trust God. The life of Jacob and Joseph tells us it's worth it to trust God. And right at the end of that, fix our eyes on Jesus. Any good coach in any sport will tell you, keep your eyes up. Don't look at your shoes. Don't look at the daisies growing out in left field. Keep your eyes up. And where are we to keep our eyes? On Jesus, who fulfills the promises of God and guarantees us the best possible life. These people in this passage are encouraging us that it's totally worth it to hang in there. It's totally worth it to trust God that God exists and he rewards those who seek him. Let's pray. Father, we want to be the kind of people who trust you completely. We know, we know, we know that there will be problems, but through it all, you bring us to the best possible life and eventually to living in your presence. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, who died for us to guarantee these blessings. Help us to walk in the school of faith, trusting you completely. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.